Beginning the track, a 52-episode introduction to Star Trek. Welcome, Jessica. Oh, thank you. Welcome to my home. <laughs> we we usually record apart, but this is fun being with you. I got the opportunity to be in L.A., so we're recording this intro together. Yep, yep. I live here in Los Angeles. You live in Colorado. And uh, we do all this stuff remotely, but we... We're going to give you a, we're giving ourselves a special treat. We're going to sit down and record the intro to uh, Peak Performance today, episode 20 of Beginning the Track. Welcome, everybody. Uh, yeah, so if you haven't seen it, obviously we're going to be spoiling everything. Go back, rewatch it. If you haven't seen any of the Star Treks, <laughs> like me when we first started this, uh, go back and start from the beginning. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we're uh, we're going to get to uh, Jessica's 10-sentence synopsis of peak performance here in just a minute. Uh, but before so, before we did that, we just wanted to uh, remind you how to get in touch with us. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Beginning the Trek. On Twitter, you can find us at Begin the Trek. And our website is www.beginningthetrek.com. Uh, rate, comment, review, subscribe follow like all that <laughs> stuff yeah we we love the opportunity to give star trek uh, as a gift to anyone that wants it so please share this with your friends your family and all of the people that you don't know that kind of covers it the everyone you don't know covers it yeah okay. so um peak performance i uh in looking at it apart from that tashiar is still dead and completely uninvolved in this episode Good there, are, there are no spoilers so uh, we're just ready for the big spoiler, I think, which is your 10-sentence synopsis. I am ready. Go for it. Okay. The USS Enterprise-D is picking up a super genius strategist, Sirna Kolrami, an egotistical little fella and possibly a bad hire for the Federation, who is going to judge a war game between Riker with 40 crew members on a substandard ship, the Hathaway, and Picard and the rest of the crew on the Enterprise. Picard is pretty reluctant to do this because it's not a warship, but we all know the Borg are coming, so let's do this. Captain Riker takes a moment to challenge Kolrami to a game of Stratagema and loses horribly, but he is allowed to take along an extra on the Hathaway, Wesley. Wesley follows Riker and Worf's strategy of getting a little sneaky and manages to get some antimatter from the Enterprise that's needed for the warp drive on the Hathaway. Meanwhile, Pulaski wants to see Kolrami taken down a notch and finagles Data and Kolrami into a stratagema game where it turns out that Data loses. Her shock at his fallibility is mirrored by Data's and he spirals into a deep crisis of confidence that takes a get-over-it-speech from Picard before he'll return to his duties. But let's get back to this game, the big game, the war game, wherein Worf projects another ship or hacks the Enterprise to see a ship, we're not sure, on the Enterprise to think that they're being attacked. This doesn't really bode well when a real Ferengi ship shows up with some D&D-looking creatures and hits the Enterprise. With weapons not available, both ships come up with a daring plan where we'll either intimidate the Ferengi into running away or die trying to warp for just a second. It works, and all is well, and Data is able to challenge Kolrami to a rematch, wherein he may not say he technically won, but he sure busted him up. He did bust him up. That's the best line so far from Data. I really it, believe it. It really is. It's a fun <laughs> I busted him up. Oh, perfect. Let's talk episode. Um, we're going to... Let's... <laughs> uh, 
I, I, that's got that's going to be a bumper. What, what just happened is going to be a bumper. If you, you want to know what just end. happened, you go to the uh, very end and listen to the to the very last part of this episode, and you'll hear that. But for now, let's talk episode peak performance. Okay, uh, I'm gonna <laughs> go straight up. Uh, give my review: four out of five stratagema fingers nubbies. Oh, I don't know if they have a technical name, but that's the game controllers. I like finger nubbies, of of which apparently there are 10. Right. Yeah. You need to control 10 separate finger things, which are wired together because wireless didn't exist back in the 80s when they were making this. Let's go ahead and talk about the game because you're a super gamer. You love games. What's your thoughts on Stratagema? I do love games, and the whole yes. Well, and the whole the yep. whole episode's a game too, right? Like it's a war game. So so it's a game inside of an episode about a game. And uh, Stratagema is here's my thoughts on Stratagema. No game should be allowed to exist that takes longer to set up than it does to play. <laughs> That's fair. That uh, is a that is a ridiculous amount of setup time for not a lot of 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 game there, and. I mean, there wasn't even a rematch. It's like, but but you already put all those things on. You may as well at least play someone else. One of you keep the things on. They both were like done. Um, well, uh, are you really going to challenge them? Is anybody else in the room going to challenge Kolrami to another game after he defeated Riker in like 0.2 well, seconds? Well, probably not Kolrami, but someone else might sit down and say, okay, let me take a crack at Riker. That's true. I, and 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 why why did Riker? At first, it seemed like a really clever thing. I'm gonna I, I want to find out where I am, and I'm, I don't expect to win. But boy, when he got beat in mm-hmm. 23 moves, he sure did tuck his tail under. You know, I mean, he just shrinked away from that one. That one I thought was really interesting and ironic because given the entire thing, where Kolrami's strategy was let's run away. Run away, run away. Uh, and Riker ends up being way more clever uh, and resourceful by far. So uh, you kind of flip in the in the real games, in the real world, he was much more uh, strategery than Kolrami in the game game. Where he lost so badly. Well, and uh, it's funny because I was gonna, I, I was kind of saving Cole Rami for later, but that's fine. We'll talk about him now. Oh, okay. Wait, wait. Before we talk Cole Rami, I do. My problem with Stratagema is you're in space and you have aliens, and I get that most of the aliens have ten fingers and ten toes, but what about those that don't? That's that's true. Um, it seems Uncool. like it seems like a very. Although maybe there are different interfaces for different races and every one of them is oh, designed. Oh, yeah, you have, to, you have to buy the add-ons. That's how they get you. It's, okay. It's an interview. Exactly. Yes. It, <laughs> like, all, like all games, they make, they make supplements to it for, right. you know. And then, right. if, and then, of course, there's the uh, um, Cards Against Humanity version of Stratagema 2, which is... Ooh. <laughs> Guaranteed somebody's made this game. Do you know? Like... Are there people who figured out like how this is played, kind of thing? You know, it's funny. I've never actually thought about that. the The three dimensional chess set, which did you get to see that at all in the original series? There's so many little little things that you didn't get to see that I wish you could have. But you know, you only get so many episodes. You only get so many episodes for the um, introduction. You only get so many episodes. They, I have seen it before the three D chess set. Uh, 
somewhere it was but it was next generation and it was just kind of sitting there and i remember being like oh that's like a weird thing but i had seen it on uh big bang theory too so i'm not sure if three-dimensional chess actually existed before star trek but but certainly after Star Trek, they started to sell sets and they came up with rules that worked on that board. So whether or not Star Trek invented it, they certainly made it popular. Cool. I have no idea about Stratagema. I, I don't know. It doesn't look like a sophisticated game. And I especially don't like the ones that, well, if you're going to talk about a strategy game, I always want to go to like role-playing uh, turn base. Because that's my go-to. And this looks like a reactionary, you have to be quick with your fingers. Which seems more like a first-person shooter thing. Where the quicker you are, the better you are. Oh, so we're going to talk about games. This episode is going to turn into talking about games. This is one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> um, there you go. Which, so I, yeah, let's do that. So, um, uh, yeah, this so Stratagema looked to me like um, some 1990s video games that I kind of remember where you would die, kind of bisect big areas with, you know, lines and things like that and try and try and grab territory. And it looked like they were both trying to grab territory and it was real time. And what that means is whoever's fastest right. in seeing it is, is going to have an edge and certain races are just going to be faster. I mean, you know, I mean, a tall guy is going to be much better playing basketball than a short. By virtue of being closer to the hoop. Yes. Baylock would not have been really good at basketball. From the Corbomite Maneuver, the short little guy. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, grandpa child thing. Exactly. That was right. so disturbing to me because right. it the, was the so not baby. anything. The alien man baby. It was so. Yep. I need to go back and rewatch that now. Just See, for right now she's. Oh, <laughs> You've done it. You've done oh, it. Oh, we got her. We got her. Uh, knew we would. <laughs> and uh, It was inevitable. It, 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 sure. Absolutely. So, and Stratagema was, it just seemed like a 1990. 90s video game put into a let's make it look spacey and Star Trekky and really clunky today when you watch that. Well, sure. If you consider VR. I don't and, know if yeah. I thought it was clunky back then, but I didn't think it. I, I, I don't remember saying to myself, now there's a game I wish I could play. Like so. really fast Tetris against another player. That would have been really cool. Right, exactly. I, and, and I tend to like to slow my games down, too. I'm a strategist as well, but the more time I have to think about something, the more the, the better I am up to a certain point. So, right. So being quicker, does that make you a better strategist? Well, certainly let's let's look at the big game okay. that we played in this in this episode, which was the war game, and then the subsequent how do we get out of the pickle we're in because we did something really stupid by having a war game without, you know, anyone to protect our backs. Right. There's no gate. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few lessons to be learned amongst ourselves from having played this game and been interrupted by the Fingari... Ferengi. 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 First yeah. time first time meeting the Ferengi. Yeah, Sorry. so and, and, and I want to talk about them, but let's talk about them near the end of our no, conversation. No, no, the game. Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about the game here. So the game was um to to create a mismatch and mm -hmm. see how 
the the lesser team can fare mm-hmm. when the odds are so ridiculously against you that you have nothing. And the way that Riker chose to play that game, and, and it was his game to play really, was mm-hmm. um, he he got an extra player on his team in Wesley Crusher because he did. He did. So sneaky little. Was he cheating a little bit by getting a forty first? person because he was allowed to select 40 people except and he could pick anybody except for data um and he chose his 40 and then asked for an extra and then not only did he ask for an extra but that extra turned out to like be a little bit of a wild card that then became a spy and okay and did Riker well so so did was it cheating? Did was Riker cheating by asking for another person? Which I'm going to say no because he asked and was granted. Okay, was Wesley cheating? cheating? Is was Wesley cheating again? Okay, that one gets a little bit more because I'm going to say no. He was given a guard. Now, if that guard was the worst guard in all of Star Trek so far, inept right? in every way, <laughs> like yes. that guy was given one task. You, you had one job. Go make sure he doesn't do anything but you know, but but handle his research. Yes, and they. Even, I mean, you can you can picture it in the script. Guard looks away. <laughs> Uh, he's he's on par with the guard that was uh, in the, the in the original series when we had when we were being when Kirk and a company were being spies against the Romulan commander. Yes. Oh, right, right, right. The one that was on his knees in front of Kirk. Yes, yes. We were on par with that guy. Oh, thank God for those for those distracted yes. security yeah. personnel. And he's just like, where is this? And the guy's like, I don't know, maybe right there. Yeah. Thank God for him. They, they let us get away with the thing we need. So was it cheating that he beamed his experiment over to the Hathaway, Mr. Wesley Crusher? No. And I'm going to say it's not cheating simply because our culture values... Mm. when you do something sneaky and get away with it. Now, had he been caught, it's cheating. And that's a very no-no, you've done wrong situation. But if you're sneaky and it's not explicitly said this is cheating and you get away with it, well, then you're just really, really good. Yeah, the way I look at it is the game between us and the Borg is already happening and anything Mm -hmm. we do between now and then to prepare, including spying on them, should we choose to do any of that, Mm -hmm. I I think is on the table. So why wouldn't it be on the table in the game that we're playing to prepare for the Borg? Absolutely. Sure. Now, now, Riker didn't think of it. No. I think I think it's actually kind of cool that Wesley, Wesley thought did. of it. Uh, I agree. And the fact that he's a kid, awesome. Given a little less attention, good. And the thing is, you can take that strategy into if the Borg are going to be. Uh, I don't know if they have ego yet. I haven't seen the Borg. <laughs> like they've literally not really talked at all, except the next it. time you see them, I promise they will talk. You won't like it at all. Okay, but if they're on a level. That they, fair enough, if they're on a level that's so above or what they consider above, then let's use that to our advantage. You know, let's, let's be the little kid who sneaks over, grabs something that they don't even think is valuable that turns out to be valuable. Yeah. Let's, let's play every sneaky trick we can think of in the book. And Riker, Captain Riker, who has never lost, by the way, Mm. love that, um, when Data gets off of his 
funk ego ego issue sure um and gets back to to work and analyzes Riker Everything that Riker does is sneaky. He hid in this cloud. He snuck around the back of this. He, you know, and then everything that he plans to do with the Hathaway is sneaky, sneaky. too. Mm-hmm. He's a sneaky sneak. But he's so smiley Which and genial about it that, uh, and that's the thing that Kolrami doesn't like about him. You don't see it coming. It's just like, well, he's not good because right. he's too friendly. You're like, mm, really? Really? Are you sure about that? Yeah, so Kolrami, was Kolrami a bad hire by the Federation? I think he was a consultant that we got stuck with a contract and we're like, well, we got to put this guy somewhere and they threw him out here, but I don't think he knows what he's talking about. He he, he berates both mm-hmm. Picard and Riker, especially Riker. Mm-hmm. He, he's got this smug attitude. In the end, he, he de- we'll talk more about the final strategy of a game. We know how that turns out. Um, and... I don't think – and his best strategy when the Ferengi do show up is run away. And leave. Sorry about the 40 people that we – that were a part of our crew, but stuff happens. Well, even if you don't consider their lives valuable, which is obviously – I would consider – that's why Picard is like, no. His biggest thing is he values that crew – because they're valuable, but the ship itself, like you're really just going to hand that over? All of that, all of those, they become prisoners of war or just right. collateral damage. Right, like, or hostages or... Or hostage. like, yeah, how much are you going to pay for... That's a, that's, a, that's a really steep price. Yeah. Can't you figure something out? The, the resolution from the moment that the, that the Ferengi show up until they're dealt with mm-hmm. is a little clunky. Um, the Ferengi themselves are, should we just talk about the Ferengi right now? Let's go ahead and talk the Ferengi because they were. I wrote these. So, so I write notes. She writes notes. Jessica writes notes. We, we write these things and, um, we, we don't really read each other's. And I had wanted to talk about this stuff in a, in a particular way. And we haven't done any of the order that I wanted to do. So I'm like all confused. Yeah. Let's talk Ferengi. Why the heck not? Okay. What do you think of these large-eared things? Um, well, <laughs> what can you say? I Say what there is to say. <laughs> there is a moment, and I don't know if this... I have no idea who the actors are or if this is kind of makeup or just... I don't know what's going on, but it doesn't work. And there's a moment where one of the Ferengi is, like, demanding that Picard hand over the Hathaway. Bakdor, the the, the leader. Yes. Bakdor. Sure. And and the other one is, like, sort of open-mouthed, staring into space, like... Things make uh, no sense to him. He's very confused about things, isn't he? One of them is like rolling their eyes and it very much feels like when you're playing D&D, which I've only played a couple of times. So, but when you go, when you go in and you very first, you need to level up. That's just the truth. You need to get your stats up. So the, you go encounter a bunch of gnomes that are really easy to oh, kill. Oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. The little, the little things that are just easy to yeah, kill. Yeah. And you kill them. So you get gold and experience. The or- orcs. You're talking about orcs. You're talking about orcs. They, they're, 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 they're little and they're and they goofy looking and they're they they think they're imposing but they're really yes it's like you ran into two of those who were also bards and they're just 
not worth very many hit points or whatever your game decides to make the measure of how hard they so making those the big bads clearly just it gets it doesn't work <laughs> yeah they're 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 not the borg okay Turns out they're not the Borg. So so let's talk about the Ferengi for a few minutes. Um, and this was the episode where I wanted to introduce the Ferengi to you because it's important. Because we're going to get to know the Ferengi a lot more. And I know... Well, I, I, I don't eyes. see the cringe on your face. I was expecting a cringe on your face when I said that, but... This is going to turn into... Sorry, this is going to turn into a wharf where we get one on the team, right? Yes, Okay. Yes. So that's kind of been spoiled for me, just because a little bit when we when we get to Deep Space Nine, and the actor that plays that character was the same actor that played Bakhtor in this episode. Okay. Fair. Trust that it's not the same character. Okay. Trust that it's really not even the same concept of species. They got better when they did this episode. There, this is a much better version of the Ferengi than we saw. In the first season. Now you can see my cringe face. They were more like weird monkey things that were waving their arms up in the air. And they had these weird whip things that like shot energy out of them, which didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense or be practical in any way. I really am kind of spot on with like a, like this is like a tiny D&D character, right? It's how it feels. A little bit. A little bit. Now, what happens is they, they when we get to Deep Space Nine, the writers took it on and they said, all right, the failed attempt at the Ferengi w- will not stand. We're going to redesign the Ferengi and we're going to make them work. And they do. Kudos. And they create very deep, interesting characters. And we're going to see some episodes and I've got one in mind that I cannot wait for you to see. It's, we're probably three months away from it at this point. And we'll meet some fantastic guest stars and recurring characters that are all Ferengi. I wanted to show you this so that you can see the difference. We're going to meet one more Ferengi also. Ferengi. Okay. In one episode coming up in the fifth season. But by then... They were already created. This is probably the best encounter we'll have in the next generation with the Ferengi. And <laughs> okay. we are going to see it. I will trust that when you say it gets better, it gets better. I'm just saying, like, right now, I laughed out loud. And I there was no way I was alone in laughing out loud at these guys. <laughs> they were laughable. And it was fun. At this point, we're, I looked at this and I said, okay, they're starting to not be completely ridiculous here. If you say so. (laughs) Believe it or not, they're already getting better. All right. Uh, Well, okay. So, and that's pretty much all I have to say about the Ferengi. It's good to know that coming up, it's going to get better. Uh, But the, the idea that they can just show up too, and we haven't put any ships around or any kind of uh, alert bubble or something like we should have roped off these games. I've got two plot holes about this about this episode that are just, and, and, and I ignore them because it's like, oh, well. Uh, one of them is what you just said. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to disable, we're going to disable our weapons. We're going to, you know, right. do some war game stuff. Mm-hmm. And we're going to, like, not protect ourselves in any way. Right. And just count on that we can flip the switch and everything will work again. That just, that just. That seems naive to me. There should be timeout universe. There be like other, we're doing uh, like something. Observer ships watching this thing right. and seeing how it, you know, and they would have weapons, right? 
So there's one. The second plot hole is this. Either Worf is the greatest security officer in the history of everything, thereby knowing all the Ferengi security codes, or he made a really good guess, because how the heck did he put a, a ship on their screen? I understand that he could do it to the Enterprise, mm-hmm. but how did he make the Ferengi think that another ship was coming in? Mm. He doesn't have their computer codes. I didn't even think about this. I kind of knew what I kind yeah, of thought it's... it was... Um... I thought it wasn't actually like he's not hacking the Enterprise. And maybe I got this wrong because I wasn't paying as much attention to that as other things. And maybe he was, but they, they talked about how he had used, he had put in security codes. Gotcha. Right. I thought it was more of like a, I'm actually going to project this, which would make more sense because then you're, the computer is seeing something that's projected. You're not getting into the computer and forcing it to see something that's not projected. You're not, that's kind of how I took it. I have no idea. If that's the case, and maybe you're right, maybe that 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 kills the plot hole, but then I don't know how he did that. And again, and again, look out look out a window. Right. Right. We're getting into an area where uh is Starfleet military. And Picard starts off this episode saying absolutely not. Starfleet is exploration. And yet still suggests the games because in some way he knows if you're going to be in exploration, you still better have a military. If somebody's determined to fight and kill you, at the very least, you got to have shields. And, and we do. And it might be nice to also have weapons to fire back. Most of our ships seem to be armed. They seem to have shields. Right. They seem to have... So they've got both offensive and defensive capabilities on them mm-hmm. because... You can't explore without those. Well, you know, we run into people that don't that don't want to play nice. And even though we try not to, to kill anyone or hurt anyone, right. You know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta take that shot. Um, plus wars do happen. There've been wars in our past and there could be wars in our future. So there's a certain amount of diligence there. And then on top of it, here come the Borg and we know they're coming. So it, it seems like if, Instead of splitting it up and having Starfleet the Exploration and either Starfleet Military or some other thing that's not Starfleet that is military as another whole faction of the Federation, it's going to be necessary. So either Starfleet morphs into being more military. This is what it sounds like. Starfleet morphs into being more military when it's required. That's the takeaway I get. And that's a very good... Yes, and and peak performance is an example of us needing to start morphing because the Borg are coming. Right, and that's recognized even if Picard doesn't like it and doesn't want to go that way. Which is why he said he agrees to the to which the is yeah war game simulation to begin with. Yeah, and it's smart because clearly we can brush up on a couple things. <laughs> like obviously, we need to fix some stuff. Right? Well, and and I you know, I thought about it with with Data and his cri- Let's talk about Data for a minute. Okay, we haven't even gotten to him. And his and his and his crisis of ego is what I'm calling okay. it. Okay. Crisis of confidence. It's a really it's a really 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 good thing that he doesn't have emotions, right? Because <laughs> it could get really messy yeah, if he had emotions. That's... 
if he was emotional on top of like being completely flawed and needing him to take himself out of the rotation without telling Picard, by the way. Yeah. He just leaves. He just leaves the bridge and says, I'm going to be in my quarters till I figure this out. And he tells the security guy, but he doesn't tell Picard. Seems like something you should inform your captain of. But, you know, he's flawed and not functioning properly. And maybe he... Emotional? Well, hmm. Mm. You think maybe he was so emotional that he just was brooding in his, you know, in his quarters? <laughs> kind of looked like that. That's that's basically what Pulaski... That is what Pulaski and Troy take away from it. I don't believe that, actually. Well, Troy, Troy comes in trying to convince him, but everything she says doesn't work because every time that he says, but I'm not human, it's like she just uses, she's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, and then leaves. I'm starting to get a little annoyed with Troy. Oh, really? (laughs) Okay, yes. She's just... I am searching so hard for where this woman will shine, and I know Mm -hmm. she does, and in our, our... Trek right now, she's just not, and I'm. It's hard to find spots for her, and I know what's coming later for her is fantastic, but I'm wondering what there is early on, and this is like a part of my track. So Troy, she walks in, she has one ineffective conversation with Data, and walks out saying, "Well, that didn't work." So does Pulaski, in different ways. Yeah, no. Well, Pulaski does the same thing, but she does it. I mean, she's she's at least strong about it, and she just can't push through stubborn Mr. Data. Yeah, I, this is my last pitch on Pulaski because we're moving out of the second season. So you're either going to yeah. not like her or you're going to like her. And and that is her. Very few people have an I don't care about Pulaski. They either really like her or they really don't. I obviously really do and I've pitched her all mm-hmm. season. You have. Final verdict? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't really like her. Um, I got it. Yeah, that was clear. The She starts off with... Data is so sweet. And so, like, for not having emotions, he's just the like the sweetest little robot human that there could ever be. And thank God, because if he was an angry, stubborn one, we wouldn't like him at all. But she completely... I mean, and I maybe I'm missing episodes in between. She just changed her tune 100%. I'll get back to Data, but I want to take a... Talk about her for a minute. Yeah, no, this is my final opportunity to, get, right. to, to tell you why I like Pulaski. This is a good she, example of why. Because she treats him more human than she treats any other person in that on the on the ship. She now, treats him absolutely now. Yeah, she's come 180 degrees from... She just decided. She went from being, you're an overcomplicated calculator to, you're completely infallible. I can't believe you didn't beat this jackass. Yeah, that's true. Because she thinks Cole Rami is just the worst. And he, ironically, he's the one that needs to take down his ego. Not Data, who is absolutely infallible in her mind at this point. I don't know where that happened. I don't know where she went from being like, you'll never be human. You'll never understand anything. You can't even reason past a Sherlock Holmes (laughs) original mystery. All the way to, well, I can't believe you didn't defeat the genius strategery of the Stratagema Master. Yeah. Nope, I gotcha. I gotcha. So, final verdict. uh, The beginning of the Trek team, one thumbs up and one thumbs down for Dr. Catherine Pulaski. There you go. And we we won't be seeing her anymore in in the entire series. So, there you go. Going back to Data. But let's talk to Data. Yeah, yeah. When she 
confronts Data, she's really strong but completely ineffective. When Troy confronts Data, she's really emotional and completely ineffective. Yes. And when you finally get to Picard confronting Data, Mm -hmm. it seems like there's a really easy solution when dealing with Data. Set the priority, which is a little bit what Picard does, but he does it in a very human way. If you were talking to Data on Data's level, you would say the priority of this mistake and the priority of the mistakes that you might make that you haven't made are not the same thing. And this is more of a priority that you do your job. And then he should be able to accept that logic, right? It should throw him back from saying, I make a mistake, therefore I can't be trusted with anything. Yeah. Which is the second one is just like, that's just not true. And Picard does that very well. He's just like, sometimes what, what is that line that he gives? It's so brilliant. It is possible to... I had this in my head. It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness. That is life. And that finally... I don't know if he's... Leave your hesitation and self-doubt in your quarters and then he just walks away without asking for a reply. And that's awesome. Yeah. And the reaction in his quarters where he's... It it resets him. Because all that Picard really had to do for this poor android who's going through a... I'm going to call it a, a loop of, of it's, it's, it was a logic loop. It was a logic loop. It was a logic loop. It's, it's a very iRobot situation. I am fallible. Wasn't the issue. It's what are the possible ramifications of my being fallible? Right. And what he had to get was you're fallible and it's okay because sometimes we make mistakes. Yep. Even you, (laughs) even if you don't, you still might not win. You can do everything right and still not win. Yeah. Life lesson for all of us. Yeah. So either you're fallible like the rest of us Mm -hmm. or you're infallible and you still have the ability to lose. Either way, you still need to do your job. Your loyalty, priority wise, much higher here. So set that one first and then you can get to your logic loop. (laughs) So. Yes. And and then we get to one of my all-time favorite moments when he snaps out of it and he does the, his version of the princess bride. I cannot choose the one in front of me. He does the best logic. Oh, he does. Yes. Yes. It's it's the same. I cannot choose the wine in front of me, but knowing that, you might have thought that, so I cannot choose the wine in front of you. And knowing that he knows that we know his tactics, he might change them, but knowing that he knows that we know that he knows, he might keep them the same. That was a beautiful moment, and it totally, yes, it's the same, but clearly I cannot choose. And the only time Deanna is actually helpful is when she says, stop. That was her best moment of the whole episode was just stop it. Right. And just, yes. yeah, okay, you got it. Now, what, what can you draw from all that? So, yeah, really fun. Um, we have not talked, we talked a little bit about Riker, but I kind of wanted to say mm. I was not expecting Picard to be so complimentary and protective of Riker. I have not seen him be so sure and confident in his officers and especially Riker but it, it was really amazing he calls out Korami and we haven't talked about Korami either I had some specific things I wanted to say I think here's part of the issue I, th- I think that you have that this is one of the the episodes near the end of the second season I think he shined yeah and that there's about 40 episodes that you haven't seen, several of which feature Riker, and several of which give Picard an opportunity to see what Riker has been capable of. Mm, Sure, because just 
Right. And you just haven't seen all those. In fact, his best episode right now is the one where he prosecuted against Data, which doesn't exactly show him in the best light. Mm -hmm. I wanted to show this episode partly so I could show what he's capable of on the other side of it. And you'll get to see some more of that going forward, too. By nature of the length of this trek, I haven't seen the growth. Gotcha. Yeah, this episode really, you were right. Everybody shines in it. It was an ensemble. Everybody's, yeah, doing really Pretty good. Much. Everybody has at least the opportunity to shine, you know, whether they whether the, the acting works or the, the story. You know, again, what can you give Deanna to do? Um, at this point, that was what she got to do. And she, she, I think she made the most of it. I think, yeah, I think, uh, sure. Marina Sirtis made the most of it. Um, but I think they're still trying to find her. Uh, I love the concept of team Riker versus team Picard. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I wrote it all out so that I could do it. So mm-hmm. team Riker, the, the ready to go, already got my stuff packed, Jordy LaForge engineer. Mr. Klingon Guile himself, who who I hope you found him a little more likable. I think it was nice to see him finally getting some, because again, probably by virtue of having to skip so much, I haven't seen him do anything. He's literally had maybe two lines in the episodes that I've seen. I, I'm looking forward to when I get to see more of it, because there's more there. And the conversation with Riker was really interesting. Uh and I just, I want to it's see more. It's coming real soon. Good. It's coming cool. real, real soon. So Team team Riker with Jordy and Worf and Wesley, the wild card, mm-hmm. um, and the really, really smiley blonde Ensign, uh, Ensign Nagel, who got to say things like, they're going to fall for it. Uh, and who got <laughs> to, to be in the most awkwardly framed shot of all of Star Trek. I saw this. She... They they have a close up on Worf and and Riker sitting there, and for her to get into the shot, they have her come up behind the two of them and bend over like a bow at the waist, okay, to face her head forward so that she can say her line and be a part of this closer shot. I miss this completely. We got to do a screenshot of this and put it up. We'll do a screenshot of this and put this up. It'll be fun. So that'll be on our website. You'll get to see that. Uh, And we'll put that out on Facebook too. But yeah, it's so, because even if she were coming by to say her line. That would not. The fact that she has to bend over. The only reason for her to bend over is because right now she's only in the frame from the waist down. That's why she bends over. It's just so funny. So shout out to you, lady. You made it. Uh, you got lines on Star Trek. I never got lines on Star Trek. <laughs> so good for you. It's still going. Yep. And then Team Picard, the bruised ego of Data. Pulaski, the one who bruised it. Oh, yeah. She did force him into that. Uh, Deanna Troy, the counselor who was unable to help with the bruise. <laughs> yep. And... And the security officer who just doesn't give a darn about his job. Uh, oh, and then in the wings, we have Mr. I'm Smarter Than You. Picard had no chance in this, in this battle. He was going to lose this battle, and he had no idea. His team sucked. Yeah, he didn't. It, it looked nice and shiny, but given all of the arrogance and... Yeah, yeah. It, it was the rat. It was the tortoise and the hare, right? I mean, it was a little bit. And, yeah. And here we are. We got Team Tortoise over there, mm-hmm. Team Riker, slow and steady, doing their thing. Oh, we got a warp jump. Yeah, we can put. You know, we can we can put a different ship up on your sensors and freak mm-hmm. you guys out so that we can take our shots at you. This was a mismatch. Just not. We just didn't know what way. 
Ah, I see it. You're right, but it only works once. Because the thing that Picard should address is all of that scrappy, we're going to get this, we want it more in his own team. Yes. Because he needed that a whole lot more. Yes. But it only works like once, once the big, powerful, shiny, ahead of the game engine gets going, it will eventually defeat the scrappy startup. Sure. So your one shot. Better count. Yep. Better count. And I think I think Riker did a really good job with that. I think they did a really good job with that and how they resolved it with the Ferengi because mm-hmm. they had one shot to get it right. Yep. And they and they or die. regardless of whether or not that was a smart resolution Sheesh. to pretend to blow up the Hathaway. Right. Um, they might have been able to get away with it just by having another Federation ship pretend to show up. That might have been enough to make them run. But it was cool mm-hmm. to do the, the, the blow up thing. But it was always the overconfident person in the upper hand that lost here. Each time, yes. Yep. The Ferengi was in the upper hand. He lost. Picard was in the upper hand. Mm-hmm. He lost to Riker. And then in the end, even even though, well, even though Data had proven that he no longer mm-hmm. had the upper hand, he was able to beat Kolrami, who was clearly in the upper hand, and overconfidence. This yeah. was a, a show about overconfidence and what happens when Although, you assume you're going to win. Kolrami kind of still won, technically. Against against Riker, against Data, mm-hmm. yes. Against his own prejudice, he did not. Because he fully expected that Picard was going to roll over. And, and he totally lost strategy-wise, yeah. yeah. His solution was inadequate. A- and then at the end, he quit in the game. I don't know how they can even call that a, a, a tie. You know, I don't know how you can call it a tie when one player walks away from a table. Yeah, no, the the second you walk away, you you've knocked over your king. That's you you lost. Data busted him up. That's such a great line. Uh I did have one thing cuz it sounds like you're thumbs down for Cole Rami. I think Cole Rami was a bad hire. I do. I think that he was he was He's arrogant mm-hmm. and cocky mm-hmm. and and nothing that he did during this episode justified justified right. it. If he had in any way made a suggestion that justified his need for the only thing he did was beat people in a game that he was a third level grandmaster at that he should have beat anyway. Big deal. Right? And he was wrong and he was wrong about Riker and he was wrong about about the entire battle. And he was wrong about his own strategy for how they could have gone about it. So good, fun character. I I, I like the character. I think the character's outrageous. Oh, he's so fun. Every time that he shows yes. up on stage waddling waddling across his, the bridge. Yes. Like he does in that and I've watched I literally watched this episode about six times over the last couple of months because this was one I wanted to make sure mm-hmm. th- fit into this. So I've watched this one a lot. Every time that man walks across the the bridge at the opening, waddling his way across with Picard's captain's he's log. Awesome. I crack up. How that is how he's so funny. How does this work? Because there are a million ways that he could have come off as the worst thing ever. And the one way he did it is just so, it's such a sourpuss and 
it's amazing and awesome and I love it. Yeah, it's the perfect it's the perfect blend of clunky. Yeah. To make for just an awesome character. Um and I want to shout out to the to the actor. Roy Brocksmith was a character actor it gotta be for like ever. Not only did he do this on Next Generation, he also appears in a different in a different role on Deep Space Nine. Um, he was on television shows like The Golden Girls, Picket Fences, The Gary Sh- It's Gary Shandling Show, uh, Erie, Indiana, Babylon Five, Seinfeld, Tales from the Crypt, Night Court, uh, Father Dowling Mysteries, Ally McBeal. So he's got quite the the television credits. Movies. He was uh, in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, um, Tango and Cash, Total Recall. Oh, that's right. He was he was the uh, um, one of the, the the guy that comes in to try and convince to convince Schwarzenegger that it's not real. He gets shot, right? He gets yeah, shot, like hardcore shot, in, like right in the head. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I need yes. to rewatch that movie. That's a fun one. That yeah. the original, the original Total Recall. So this guy has been in in everything. He's just one of those character actors that you you're never sure what his name is, mm-hmm. but you're like, oh, that guy, that guy, yep. that guy. He's one of those that guys. Well, um, thank you, Roy Brocksmith, because this was very enjoyable for all of the right reasons in all of the wrong ways. <laughs> Let's talk Trek. Let's do talk Trek. And you said you've got stuff that you have to say. I do. I I I want to talk about Will Wheaton. Okay. I want to talk about Wesley Crusher. And I want to start by saying, Wesley Crusher, I've been doing you wrong. Will Wheaton, I've been doing you wrong. I get it now. I get it. Okay. I've been editing these episodes. And... Every time that we talk about Wesley, he seems to be like some sort of afterthought where we're like in the middle of a conversation and then we talk about him for just a few moments, Mm -hmm. maybe 30, 45 seconds, and then we move on to something else. And that will happen two or three times in an episode. And then when it comes time to edit it, there's nothing usable in there. Like we're in the middle of a point we suddenly branch off and talk about Wesley for a moment. And then we go right back to that point and to just leave it in there, the conversation's not coherent. So, so I said, let's talk Will Wheaton and Wesley Crutcher right now because they did mishandle him a lot, just like I did, I think in, in some of these edits I've done. And I've, he's been on the cutting room floor of too much. That's what All I was right, trying to say. Fair. He's been on my cutting room floor too much because I haven't found ways to fit him in. And, um, there's a lot of good there uh, to talk about with with how he changed and what he be, what the character and what the actor came what the actor came into. The funny thing is, is like you said, you treated him kind of the way the show does, where if you didn't know what to do, so he becomes kind of this branching tangent a little bit. But I've seen him just in in the couple episodes for TNG that we've done go from uh, Beverly Crusher has a kid. He seems sweet and smart yeah. to a little bit whiny, again, kind of a branch off. And it's just like, all right, whatever this kid, all the way to this, where you really got to shine, be a little sneaky, have a little fun. Uh, really re- always, though, always been very eager to impress and to do a good job. Yeah. So that's the Wesley Crusher from 
the series that I know so far as a beginner. Mm -hmm. Uh, Will Wheaton, I have followed on Twitter uh, even before I started this trek because I really liked him in Big Bang Theory. Because he was obviously uh, playing... It seemed very clear to me. I don't know. I don't know the guy. So, uh, but it seemed pretty clear to me that he was playing the douchebag version of himself that everybody would think he is as an adult version of Wesley Crusher, which I thought was hilarious, even not knowing Star Trek. And it gave me a sense of that, that, that sense of humor. Uh, he's really political and a lot like Takei, uh, yeah. which I enjoy. Because uh, I like getting into political discussions with people, um, and and he's very passionate about that. So that's that's awesome. As a as a person, that's about all I know. Uh, I know. Oh, um, he works with a lot of just nerd community people, geek and sundry, and of course, I love Felicia Day. Yeah. Because thank you for being at least in some part representative of females in nerd culture. We need more. And I'm asking like, as a personal thing. More women at warp, more Felicia Day, more nerd girls, cause we're awesome. Are are you aware that you are now a nerd girl in pop culture along with the rest of them? Yay! You have like, a podcast. You have a podcast. I have a podcast about Star Trek. You do, don't I do. you? I wouldn't. Uh... People listen to you talk about Star Trek each week. <laughs> That's surreal. It really, really is. Uh, but yeah. I am. And I'm I very appreciative, and I hope I... I... That, yeah, like, I get that Felicia Day was an influence on you that had you say, if she can, why not me? Totally. Even though this wasn't your completely your idea, uh, right? From the, you, I know you weren't saying, oh, I'm going to start a Star Trek podcast. No, that... it was very organic because you are who you are, and I am who I am. Uh, but I, I never put myself on the same plane as that. But yes, I get to be a female who talks about these things and has even the tiniest voice. And I'm, I'm, I, I hope that I can do it justice because I know. Among women, among men, nobody's opinions match 100%. Um, I get that. And we should probably mention, because I'll bet there's a lot of people listening that aren't familiar with Geek and Sundry. So let me okay. just talk about that for a minute, too. Because Will Wheaton, um, after he went on left Star Trek, he has had just an amazing career. Actually, he's had the kind of career that a lot of actors would really covet. This guy has done recurring roles on so many different shows. Um, the Big Bang Theory just being right. one of them. He's been in 15 episodes of The Big Bang Theory recurring as... As himself, though. As douchebag Will Wheaton, as you, right. might, you might have called him. <laughs> and, and yeah, that's a character that he's definitely playing there. Uh, but also, he's he's recurred on The Guild. He recurred on Eureka. Right. He's, he, the guy shows up in video game voiceovers. He's, the, he's been working a ton. On top of which, like you said, he's very political. He's got a huge social media presence. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he got involved with Felicia Day's Geek and Sundry, which is a where I watch it from, where I'm enjoying it most is on, on YouTube. Just search Geek and Sundry. We'll put a link. Uh, to, to Geek and Sundry. Um, <clears throat> so we'll make sure to do that. But uh, search for that. And then he had a show inside of Geek and Sundry's lineup called Tabletop. Right, right. And I've watched a ton of them. I'm a gamer. We talked about that during the episode part. I love... This fits. <laughs> ...games. And Tabletop literally is him 
sitting down at a table with a bunch of his nerdy friends, usually some some level of celebrity status mm-hmm. that, you know, nerd celebrities are going to know. And they literally play a game and we watch them. And if that isn't nerdy, I don't know what is. Boy, it's more it's way more entertaining. You wouldn't you would just think you wouldn't think that it'd be as entertaining as it is, but it really is. It's a lot of fun. Um, so this guy has done a ton. He did 85 episodes of Star Trek as Wesley Crusher. Mm-hmm. His last episode as a series regular came in the middle of season four. It was episode nine called Final Mission. Um, which is a a good episode for him. But he comes back and he makes four more appearances, uh, including one that uh, we all love where he gets in a lot of trouble at uh, at the Academy. All right. uh, He's in an episode called The Game. Oh, you told me. Yeah. uh, have, Have you mentioned that one before? If you haven't on here, you have to me. I've I, I mentioned Ashley, I, I did from from Ashley Judd uh, from the Ashley Judd side of things I mentioned it. it's a it's a good Wesley coming back for vacation from the academy the game and he yeah, the game is what it's called right. and it's it's definitely a Wesley Crusher saves the day but a fun one and you get to see another version of what they thought games would be like in the future yeah <laughs> were they just as off? Yeah. Okay. Way off on that on this too, but why not? Didn't didn't predict VR and AR and no, well, that. this this is going to be more AR. This is very AR. Okay. In fact, this is definitely AR. It's just the game doesn't make any sense. Oh, sure. <laughs> but but okay. but the AR is cool as heck that you can see that they had that in mind 30 years ago. Absolutely. All righty. Let's talk next week. What are you going to have us watch? Okay, I've been waiting for this for this conversation for a while now. So let's go back and talk about the original series for a minute and the first few episodes that you watched. The foundation we had to lay. Okay. Which included which included the Corbomite mm-hmm. Maneuver, a fantastic episode that, that I love. We had the cage, we had the naked time, mm-hmm. we had a couple that needed to lay a foundation. Right. We're doing and then we let it run with episodes like Mirror Mirror, City on the Edge of Forever, uh, Errand of Mercy, those kinds of things. Right. Real good ones. Real good ones. Real good ones. And now here we are six episodes into the next generation. Mm -hmm. The table is set. The foundation has been laid and now it's time to open it up and see what we can do. Okay, so we are entering the third season of Next Generation, and I, you're looking at me like, oh, he's so excited. I am, I am. You are so excited right now. I can't wait because, because there is not anything that I wouldn't want to show you going forward that, like, I have no apologies about right. any of this. I can't wait. Okay. And I got two spoilers to say. The first one is, uh, in the third season, as we've talked about, Beverly Crusher is back and Dr. Pulaski has left. So that's one. But we're going to really talk about Tasha Yar and that, that she died because it is extraordinarily relevant to this next episode. Because... Rumors came out, Denise Crosby, we knew, was going to be a guest star on this episode. Mm-hmm. Denise Crosby played Tasha Yar. This episode will feature Tasha Yar, and that's who you're going to be looking for in this episode. She won't be hard to find. Tasha Yar died during an episode called Skin of Evil back in the first season, and for those of you that haven't seen it, this is literally the last chance before I tell you exactly what happened. All right. Three, two, one, here it comes. 
Tasha Yar was killed by a creature named Armis, basically a giant oil slick that captured a shuttlecraft that Deanna Troy was in. And when they were trying to retrieve her in the first 15 minutes of the episode, it just basically reaches out and shoots her and she's dead. Okay. And it's ridiculous. And it was, and they don't really even talk about her much for the, they, they put it out of their minds to the last scene where we get kind of a weird holodecky funeral of her where she comes back in mm. recording form and that's it for her. And it was an unceremonious death for a character that we had finally figured out how to work. Yes. You saw symbiosis. You saw what she was capable of and it's but, frustrating. Yeah, finally it was good. And, and I'm going to frustrate you further because this week you're going to find out what she was really capable of and you're going to be so pissed off that they killed her off. But we're going to correct the mistake of how they killed her right now. Okay. This is the 15th episode of the third season. It's called Yesterday's Enterprise. Yesterday's Enterprise. Okay. You have all the spoilers. You have all the information that I'm going to give you about this. The prediction is yours. Uh, based on the name. I mean, I know before I had thrown into the prediction machine that she was going to come back as an android uh, along the same level as Data, because that would be super fun to explore. But given the title, I think we're going to go back in time. Mm. So I think that... The, it has to be in the time period before her death. So I think what's going to happen is they're going to go back in time right then before she died. Okay. And, oh, man, I don't know about the story, though. Like, I think that's what's going to happen with her. She's going to get pulled out into, I don't know, what's going to have to be some kind of alternate time space thing where she gets saved. But it's okay because nobody knows she was saved. Hmm. Because time travel works that way. Sure. <laughs> I mean, apparently in Star Trek, time travel works however we want it to work. There, there's a few different ways to travel through time and a few different possible effects that could happen. We will definitely explore some time travel in this. I'll give you that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good guess. Uh, and you're right, shocking that I could figure that one. <laughs> and we'll ex and we'll explore what happens as the result of traveling through time. Oh, I know what this is. Okay, so we oh, are did actually. Did I give you too much? Oh, I hope I didn't give you too much. No, 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 no. This because I was trying to figure out a way that this works. We're gonna hop through time. So we're gonna start off in one way. We're gonna hit Natasha Yar. We're gonna go back even further in a series of jumps. That's what's gonna happen. And I think what's gonna they're gonna be doing their darndest to not mess anything up. And that's the big thing is don't do anything when you desperately want to say something you can't and when you desperately want to change things you can't because we're on an uncontrolled leapfrog wow. through time. okay that's a cool idea that's a cool idea I, i'm obviously i'm not going to tell you how close you are right no we'll see we'll see next week and i'm going to pull out the giant prediction by the way people think the giant prediction machine is not real mm -hmm. the giant prediction machine is a thing just so you all know i'll bring it in here and i'll Fired up right now. I, 
I, I'm going to lock that into the giant prediction machine. All right. GPM. Yeah, I'm going to lock that into the GPM. We're going to call it that from now on. Uh, so that's set. You're going to be watching this. When are you going to be watching this? When are you going to be tweeting this? Um, Sunday, February 11th, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. I will be tweeting this out at Begin the Trek. If you don't follow along live, that's totally cool. You can still see these things because I will put them in a sidebar in uh, the website. So when the episode comes out, you can also check that out, www.beginningthetrek.com. Yeah, they're also, those tw- those tweets that you do are also available on our Twitter stream, which is a part of our Facebook page, which is uh, Facebook slash Beginning the Trek. So there's where you can find us. Uh, leave us comments, reviews, whatever you like. Or don't like? Yes, please leave. leave we, please, we would love those likes. We would love those those five star reviews if yeah, we can if get them. Yeah, you think them. it's worth it. Um, and and those comments from you would really make a difference for us. So so uh, if you want to support the the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Those comments on iTunes and wherever you get your your podcast from. And we'll be back next week with yesterday's Enterprise. Jessica, go pop some popcorn, sit down, and enjoy what will be the first of many really fun episodes we're going we're gonna to be watching together. Awesome. Okay. I'll see you next week. See ya. <laughs> well, I thought we were going to talk episode. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I, you know, I, I was nice and hydrated coming into the start of this. So I took a big, giant gulp of water just before hitting record. That goes right up there with me doing a raspberry. (laughs) (laughs) This is the best beginning ever. I love this episode already. I just love this episode. (laughs)